When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, heroes, it's James, your Game Master, uh, and I am here with an ARC debrief for our Dominion ARC of Skyjacks. I'm also accompanied by Project Falcon, so you might hear some some rattling uh, on this one. Also, uh, currently, <laughs> my house is once again under construction as a toilet broke, Um but, you know, that, 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 that's not stuff that I need to burden you with. Um, let me pull up the notes for this arc so that I can kind of dive in and talk about the sort of behind-the-scenes stuff that we were thinking about and going for in this one. So the first thing to really note about this arc is, is I had planned on it being much longer. I think that the past two arcs, uh, those being uh, Ungoni and Silver Bullet, were kind of intentionally compressed arcs. And what do I mean by that? Uh, essentially, I had planned either for them to be very short to begin with, or I was kind of taking the direction choice to not really follow every thread as much as it could be followed and try to focus on very immediate things happening. Um, in, in Ungoni, um, I think that, like, I didn't fully follow through on that. Like, we definitely did chase down uh, a, a few more threads. Like, all the stuff that happened with, with Travis in that arc was, like, really unplanned and discovered in the moment, that sort of thing. Um, but overall, like, I was trying to keep things short. I had originally with, with, with Ungoni, I was like, I want this to be three sessions, and it did not turn out to be three sessions. It turned out to be much more than three, three sessions, um, but because all of that was coming off of Nordia, which was a long and sprawling arc, like, where, you know, there were no time limits. We just kind of followed things. What's the matter? Do you need to be held differently? Hold on. We just kind of followed things as they came up, which led to, you know, that arc taking like over a year, I think. Uh, it Like it was a very, very long time in recording, a very, very long time sort of coming out and, and hitting the airwaves. And so much happened in it. You know, Nordia was being one of my favorite arcs simply because it got to take all of this time to focus on, you know, very close in stories when the only thing that we had really planned for that was like Travis getting sort of an emotional confrontation out of it and there being the pressure cooker of uh, the Mariner being on the way, um, you know, it, it like so much more spun out of that. We, we got so many great reveals. Margaret really got to develop as a character. It was cool, but it took so long and rhythmically for the story. I wanted to be able to have shorter arcs following up. So, uh, you know, in Ungoni, it was about, like, furthering the plot. Like, we need to find out about this feather weave. We need to introduce Sifa more as a character. And we need to, you know, set up the captain coming back. 
um, we need to resolve the featherweave plot from the original like uh, civility arc. Like some things just needed to follow up and compound and whatnot. Then we had Silver Bullet where the captain was coming back and that needed to be the story. You know, we needed to have uh, the captain like introduced as a character, introduced as a player, focus a lot on the captain and his past, create essentially a personality for this character who had been around since the beginning, but really didn't get to act very much. Um, so like there wasn't a lot of time to focus on everybody else in that. Uh, so we focused on action instead. Um, so we, we had two like short arcs in, in a row and I was sort of coming up on the decision of what to do next. Um, and obviously we had been alluding to Jonnet's like sweet 16 birthday. Oh my gosh. Falcon. We had kind of been alluding to John at Sweet 16 and Birthday, but like I needed a little bit more time for Jonnet. Um, I needed to take a quick stopover. And what that meant to me was like Jonnet needed to further down, like move a little bit further along on his um, uh, Liquid Swords plotline. Because um, this is something that uh, Obviously, Tyler and I have been discussing a little bit, like, when the Liquid Sword showed up, uh, Tyler showed a lot of interest in them. So, like, wanted to tie those things together. And obviously, with the Liquid Sword stuff, we are playing with a lot of familiar tropes. And we are trying to do our own thing with that, um, play, play against some of uh, the more harmful aspects of those tropes. And you know, play with the things that we still think are are kind of fun and interesting and cool about all that. And so I wanted to have uh, another sort of figure, teacher, gatekeeper um, in front of the Liquid Swords so that we could learn kind of more about them. Um, and that led to, uh, you know, me thinking of like, okay, teacher way. You know, I, I want to have Teacher Way show up, and I kind of want Jonnet to have to prove himself to someone. And he didn't even really get at the thing that I want to get at in this arc. That that is probably going to have to be saved for uh, later on. I, I don't mind revealing it here. Um, the big thing with Jonnet, Jonnet is someone who's got like so much power, and. I think we know uh, that Jonnet like is a good kid. That that is not a, a like in question or even really like something that I, I think is very exciting to interrogate. Um, I I have very few qualms about just handing a, a, a very good child a, a ton and ton of power because like power is misused all the times by people who uh, sort of grow up to to be adults and like compromise morality and whatnot so it's like well you know it's gonna get if it's gonna get misused anyway by totally corrupt people might as well give it to someone uh who you know could could do some good uh mixed in with uh being inexperienced whatever um so like i wasn't introduced uh, interested in interrogating that but i think jonnet knows where he is going in life but doesn't have a big plan for when he gets there like he knows that he's going to grow up to be this amazing pirate captain who confronts the Mariner. But, like, 
does he know why he's confronting the Mariner uh, apart from the fact that this is like a thing put in front of him? And I, I really wanted to interrogate that. And I do think the teacher way story that we did started to interrogate that. Um, but I, I think we're going to be spending more time with it. Anyway, I had kind of envisioned te this teacher way thing as something that could happen in like one or two recording sessions um, while we were, you know, like right, right before the Sweet 16. I, I think it is an important thing for Jonnet to have going in um, to like really be thinking more about his future and kind of what it means to him and, and what he wants from it and what he intends to do with it. Um, so it just felt very necessary. And uh, for that, uh, we needed like a guest performer. And I also just, I wanted to visit a new location and a new location that was entirely under the control of the cast. Uh, we had been doing a bunch of like freelancer stuff uh, to that point in Ungoni. And, you know, there there is stuff that uh, we wanted later on, but like I knew Acheron would be more centered around Tyler and, and what Tyler needed. So I was like, okay, I want an area where we can kind of have a big free-for-all um, and talk about things. Like the, the next thing that I wanted to investigate or interrogate a little bit is stuff that I, another thing that like, I'm not, I'm not sure it's the note we hit, but that's fine because I'm glad where we ended up. Um, I wanted Gable to spend a little bit more time um, confronted with uh, a part of the world that had been deeply affected by the starfall and, you know, have to grapple with the big feelings of like personal responsibility for their role in that. Um, you know, the knowledge that Gable was taking into this arc was I caused the starfall and like all of the things that could be associated with the stars falling from the sky technically can be laid on my shoulders. Um, you know, even if it wasn't my intention, whatever. Um, so I wanted us to build a place where that was kind of integral to the history of it. And I don't know if that came through, you know, I'm, I'm sure uh, some folks listening might be surprised that that's what was in Doom and Y'all, but that's because like we investigated other things, you know, obviously I had, uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that later because like I said, uh, pinched for time uh, with this arc. I did not have much for the, oh, oh, and then of course, Travis, Travis, right? Uh, Travis had set up in the previous arc having to kill a changeling, and I couldn't just leave that thread alone. Like, we did have to resolve it. It was not something that I planned on at all. I was, after Nordia, hoping to put Travis on a back burner a little bit because he had just had this big arc, needed to think through a lot of things, and we needed other characters, uh, you know, particularly the captain and whatnot, to take center stage. Um, so, I, you know, I, I didn't have much, but, like, obviously we needed um, we needed to resolve that. So I, I wanted to create an area where we potentially could. Um, and the only like changeling that we had mentioned in Travis's past, like th there was literally, I think a role or something where I asked Johnny, like, Hey, uh, have you ever met another changeling? And he talked about, 
you know, um, the, the, the person who ended up Raul, um, I have the notes right in front of me. That's why I pulled them up earlier. Um, yeah, you know, he had mentioned, uh, the character that would become Raul. Uh, so I was like, okay, you know, we have to, we have to tie those together. That, that irony is, is too good. So I, I really wanted to, make sure that we were not only paying off on the thing that Johnny had set up, but that like we were paying off on other things that had been established up to that point, which left the captain. And I didn't have much left for the captain to do directly. Um, but Nathan and I had kind of discussed, you know, the captain has really got to be, you know, going kind of person by person in the captain's council and resolve his feelings about how he was treated. Um, like we can't, you know, we, we're not going to hand wave or make it smaller than it deserves to be. So I was like, uh, Nathan, are you going to be cool with a plot that kind of involves you glomming on to one of the other character stories and incorporating like part of your emotional narrative in in their um sort of plot-based narrative and of course nathan being a consummate professional was absolutely on board for this and we kind of looked at our options and i was like well at that time i had figured out secretly in my head and talked to no one that hey, this is going to be the time that I am going to reveal Gable's past with the Morningstar. And Jonnet was tied up with Teacher Way, which only left Travis. So it's like, okay, so the captain's plot and Travis's plot were going to be the same plot, but the captain was going to be an interesting foil on Travis's journey. And also at the same time, furthering the captain's like overall emotional arc, you know, we we needed like the thing that I that like Nathan and I had talked about together is we wanted the captain to be able to go on a little bit of a Zuko quest uh, in Avatar: The Last Airbender. Zuko, in order to like redeem himself, has to go on a personal quest with everybody else around him um, to like get bound together. Obviously, except for Sokka, um, and. Or was it Toph? I can't remember. One of them got cut out. Anyway, um, for for us, we were going to kind of do a reverse of that. Is the captain was going to go on a journey with everybody else, and kind of have that be grounds where the captain was sort of evaluating them and uh, sort of their worthiness and how he feels about how he was treated by them and whatnot. Um, it, it, it felt like a lot of fun. And so we were like, okay, we can start that here in Dominion with Travis. So like, as I was sort of contemplating that and the larger shape of the arc, uh, the other thing that I kind of wanted to pick up on was I wanted this arc to be more about adventure and discovery. Um, the, the previous two, you know, like, uh, if we think about from Nordia through uh, Ungoni, a lot of it was kind of about emotions, which is good. I, I think emotional an emotional journey is like the best foundational framework that you can have for things. I, I think it is the reason. I think it is the reason that uh, a lot of that uh, worked so well. Um, however, like I didn't want to lose um, part of like the core inspiration for Skyjacks is. Treasure Island is the idea of adventure and classic adventure to boot. Um, 
So I really wanted a place that we could kind of like settle into and explore a little bit, um, a, a way for us to like allow Jonnet to learn this lesson uh, with Teacher Way and then allow that lesson to sink in a little bit, get some time before we went on to the Sweet 16. So when I did our, when I had a sit down for our um, setting building, world building lesson or session before we jumped into this arc, the thing that I was trying to do was generate a lot of details for a location that could accommodate a good deal of adventure. Um, like one of the things that I wanted is like, I want to have an angel feather in this location for Gable. Like not only do I want there to be a thematic and world connection to kind of the fall, but I, I wanted Gable to be able to like go on a fun adventure and pick something up. I wanted also people to be able to like find treasure while we were here and have, have like a, a piece of the world that would accommodate that. Um, so I was trying to build a place that we could settle into and play for a long time, play for a time uh, where we were just able to spread our legs and explore. And that did not end up happening. Um, we'll be addressing this in like the next few arcs or whatever, but like th there was something that, that came up uh, with with like scheduling and whatnot and, and the cast that made it so that actually I would need to hurry this arc along quite a bit. We were not going to be able to spread our legs out. We were not going to be able to follow different plot threads. The tone was going to have to be different. Um and like part of this is, you know, I was going to have a baby, so I really needed to get so much of this done before the baby came into the world and like ideally finish the arc. And not everybody was able to get in the same room at the same time, you know, uh, quote unquote, we weren't able to schedule up and line up on our time slots for recording. Like there were going to be ones that Johnny couldn't make it to. There were going to be ones that Liz couldn't make it to. And at the end of the day, I was like, this actually needs to be an arc where we split the party and we follow the party down separate plot nodes. Um, and not everybody's going to be in the same room. Uh, it's going to feel like there, there's essentially in this arc, there is a different ensemble like every other episode, which changes the energy of the content that you're getting. Um, so, yeah, the... the world building that I did that, that we did as a cast like we, we we put that on wax and then we looked at the schedule and we were like oh holy shit we're not actually going to be able to accommodate this uh we're, we're not going to be able to look at like basically half of this so then I was left with the game master's challenge of okay if I need to abbreviate this arc, if I need to hurry it along so that we can get to other things and the schedule isn't going to accommodate all of us being together, I need to frame these things differently. Now, I had always kind of planned for um, Jonnet to be off with Teacher Way in the beginning of the arc. Um, so Jonnet would be disconnected from the rest of the party and they would do something together. Um, however, there was like one recording where Liz wasn't available and one recording where Johnny wasn't available. So I wasn't going to be able to start them all together. And I'm like, okay, 
either in an arc where I am pressed for time anyway, I'm going to have to have like episodes where I'm stalling for time where I wait for the rest of the cast to show up, or I just straight up have to take two plot threads that I was planning on doing and send people off in different directions for it, which is kind of how um, I ended up with the solution of the captain and Travis going off and Liz and a gaggle of NPCs went off to do Gable's plot, but also at the same time incorporate in the star-crossed game uh, with, with, with Gable uh, and like distribute it throughout the arc itself so that like we were kind of understanding Gable's actions and like figuring out their emotional journey as uh, they were going on like this journey through um, Dominion. Like basically it was, it was a way to like, okay, well I'll have the separate star-crossed recording with Gable, which will, you know, create some content. Then I will just formally split off teacher way and Jonnet so that like, Part of the recording will part of the arc will have everybody's kind of like moving back and forth, bouncing around the recording. But like for the main thrust of Jonnet's arc, this vision, um, Jonnet will or Tyler is just going to be recording with our guest. Um, and that's that. Um, then you know, like Gable has the schedule of NPCs, uh, and uh, both Nathan and uh, Johnny are off doing Travis's plot line that just ended up being the thing. And like, it was allowed me a little bit to talk about like the tunnels and cave systems that we had like really built up for this arc. Um, we barely got to talk about the fact that like there is kind of a sunken city in Dominion. Like there's this previous, uh, pre-Starfall civilization that like kind of got buried and they're sort of like picking off the dregs of it through their uh, control of like water and whatnot. And by control of water, I literally mean like civic plumbing and aqueduct control and whatnot, not like magical control of water. Um, this was like supposed to be a city that was kind of an engineering marvel. Um, and part of it is like, yeah, they're, they're picking off like this kind of um, advanced metropolitan past that they had that they no longer have access to. And th there was a lot of stuff that like just didn't come to fore because all of a sudden everything had to be about the characters and these stories had to be told very efficiently and also in a way that was really disconnected from one another. And I kind of had to juggle tone uh, in that as well because like, you know, I didn't want everything to be over serious. A lot of our fans joke about uh, Skyjacks being like the emotional whiplash podcast where we will have the intense emotional character development and we will also have some absolutely off the wall humor in it. Um, I, I wanted to keep that because I, I think it's important. I think if we are constantly inundating you with the emotional stuff, the podcast itself will start to feel very different and disconnected from its center. Like it won't be like, like going weeks and weeks without a laugh and with just emotional devastation, I, I think will put 
like it would put me off if I were listening to a show. You know, um, I, I want I want them both mixed together, even if it is okay. In this segment of the show, I'm having a bunch of goofs and laughs, and in this segment of the show, I am like really invested in in a character story. So, I was trying to look at these and go, okay, how do I pace this, especially with everybody separate. Um, and that is kind of the challenge that I was taking into the arc is plans changed kind of suddenly and radically. Like the arc that I originally had envisioned, one where we would spread our legs, one where we would go on a bunch of different little adventures um, and kind of be able to have a, a slower burn on our character growth just evaporated, just completely disappeared uh, from underneath us. And what I had to do is take the components and like still try to honor all of the things that we had created, um, still try to make a really cool um, like support for for the this bit of world building that we had done, um, but really just efficiently move things along so that we could get to the next arc. Um, so I, I think, like, I, I will talk about areas specifically, but I, I think some of you may have noticed uh, that, like, certain things seemed more abbreviated than maybe they should be. Um, and, you know, I, I don't feel too bad about that because, like, I know the challenges uh, that went into this arc. And actually, I was for this arc because we were we got very far ahead in our recording schedule in this arc uh, because of the baby and because I didn't know what my availability would be for production after the baby. Like, I wanted to get really far ahead so we could accommodate super chaotic schedules and whatnot. I, I was nervous while basically this full arc was, you know, awaiting editing, awaiting distribution, I was just thinking about all the disparate parts. I was thinking about the moments that needed to be pinched, that needed to be accelerated, that really didn't get to, I, I don't know, like didn't get full room and license to explore themselves. And part of me was just going, oh, this arc is just going to be weaker. It's going to be a bad arc because it, it's not going to get to do the things that I wanted it to, which I, I think in reality, like looking back on what did come out, while maybe there are parts with flaws, overall, I think it's actually a very strong arc. Um, I, I think a lot of cool things happened partially because of what I needed to do to accelerate uh different parts of our, our, our timeline and whatnot, more information got to come out in this arc than I had initially planned. Um, and I'll, I'll talk about that. Um, and also like, because it was recorded in different segments, the individual pieces of those segments were all very, really strong and, and, and cool. Um, and I, I think they showed well. So with that, I, I want to dive into individual things. And one of the most unignorably awesome parts of this arc is the music. Um, there was like it, it was a feat. Uh, so I, I really want to talk about, uh, first of all, Lex, the lexicon artist. Um, essentially, I knew that we needed a new Liquid Swords monk this arc. And I had kind of a choice to make in how we approached that. Um, because the Liquid Swords, created by James Mendez, Ho Mendez Hodes, um, who is a cultural consultant and freelancer who has worked on so many incredible projects, um, including the Avatar The Last Airbender role-playing system, 
including Thousand Arrows. Like Mendez is kind of a powerhouse, uh, a total package of somebody who is really like incredibly smart and has a tremendous like historical and cultural knowledge base uh, that he's working off of for, for different things that he's developed. And also a really strong resume and portfolio of like things that he has done with, with that knowledge and those skills. Um, so like when I was initially reaching out to people to uh, contribute to this project as freelancers, like Mendez was basically at the top of my list. Um, and I, you know, did what I did for all of our contributors where I gave them like the bare structure of the world. They're like, here is Sphere. What I want you to do is take a creative blank check and create a part of Sphere. Because again, I've said this a thousand times, um, uh, This is the, the spirit of this was to give people freedom to take big swings and make real choices about this world because they are bringing experience and knowledge to the table that I don't have and in many ways can't have. Um, and if Sphere is supposed to feel like a world, then it can't feel like something that is created from by one person or one perspective. Um, so what Mendez comes back with is the Liquid Swords Monastery, which is extremely cool. Um, and uh, explicitly a big part of it is a big part of it is that uh, the inhabitants of the monastery or most of the inhabitants of the monastery are people who are, uh, you know, black or um East Asian. Um, like it's actually, that is kind of a summary of what Mendez wrote. Mendez wrote something a lot more specific. Um, but for the simplicity and, and sake of what we're talking about right now, um, that, that was kind of it. So it was like, okay, I will need somebody, uh, of, uh, like, like I will need a, a performer to play this character. And that is either me playing the character and somebody coming in and dubbing over the words, which, you know, I feel a little iffy about in a lot of different circumstances. Um, or that is bringing in a performer. The other thing about the liquid swords, uh, something that Mendez and I had talked about is that poetry is extraordinarily culturally important to the liquid swords monks. Um, not it, like, it is not like one of the primary areas of like study and focus because technically it is woven into everything they do. Um, it is uh, the core of self-expression and diplomacy is poetry. Um, uh, so like, you know, we're, we're taking uh, rap battles and we're going like, well, what if people who defined sort of what diplomatic expression is supposed to be uh, are the ones who got to center that, like make that kind of formal high society, make that like um, a, a, a important and sacred thing instead of like this thing that is really not dealt the respect uh, that it deserves culturally within society because of racism. Um, so, the thing that I knew was if I am going to have another person who is like a teacher who who is in a position to hold the keys a little bit to finding the liquid swords in their temple, who is supposed to evaluate and teach something to Jonnet, I need this person to perform. Um, 
they, they, there's going to have to be music for them. Uh, so I kind of like, I was like, okay, these are a lot of specific per- parameters because I need somebody who wouldn't mind playing a role-playing game, who uh, wouldn't mind, you know, improvising dialogue and whatnot. I want somebody ideally um, of of Asian or, or uh, Black descent, you know, and I want... I want somebody who's like musically competent and can like have their own voice in this. Like we could have asked Arnie to prepare music for somebody to perform. Um, And like that, that can work. Arnie is an incredibly talented writer. Arnie knows the project. Arnie knows us. But I kind of was like, if I'm going to get a performer, I want to offer them the chance to put even more of their own voice into this project. So I kind of tweeted out the parameters of like, hey, I need a professional uh, rapper who, you know, kind of meets these cultural criteria uh, to fit this character. And, you know, if they are open to performing and um, writing, like, I need that too. And somebody said, hey, I like Lex the Lexicon artist. Um, And there were a couple people who responded to that, uh, like, call uh, different performers. And I looked at them, I listened to their catalogs, and Lex seemed like a really cool and interesting fit. You know, Lex uh, did a lot of focus on on lyrics, which I, I think are incredibly important to what we needed from a performer on this project. Um, Lex also, like, I, I, again, I'm not very good at evaluating like music uh, in its raw form, but I've, I felt that Lex was a very competent uh, musician. Um, and I put the offer to them. Um, like there was a lot that Lex was bringing to the table from a perspective standpoint and a talent standpoint. Um, so I, after listening to Lex, I was like, hey, yeah, do you want to do this really weird project? where you would come and play a role-playing game with us. We would find moments where uh, we think songs would go and then produce those songs afterwards or like have an idea of where we want those songs to drop in. And Lex, you know, not only not only did that, but also like after the actual recording, like took a look at the content that happened and was like, okay, I think this song should evolve in this way to, to make this statement instead of the one that we like initially kind of envisioned and whatnot. Um, so Lex was just ended up being a really strong collaborator to us and had a strong perspective, wanted some interesting things for, for their character that, you know, my instinct is like figure out how you can, uh, how you can work in, everybody's ideas um and one of the big things uh that lex changed mythology wise in the universe of skyjacks was seers and like the methods that people had to access being a seer um lex made the request like i was like hey it would probably be a good idea for this character to be a seer um or or i was like you know you have the option to be a seer and this is kind of what it means within the context of the world um you would have like an extra eye somewhere on your body and be able to you know do these things access these powers this is what the character does with it and lex was like can my seer's eye be blind and you know i thought about it and i was like 
I guess I don't see why not. Like, and, and we'd have to figure out what that means. Um, but like, yeah, if, if that's a thing that you want for this character, that's a thing that we're going to be able to figure out and accommodate. Um, so like already that changed. Then I kind of explained like how seers come to be that like touching an angel feather is like part of it. And Lex was like, actually, can we do something different with that? Um, I kind of like, I kind of want my character to develop a seer's eye after a transformative sexual experience. And that sent me reeling because that, you know, that changed a lot about the mythology. Like, I think even back when I was talking about seers in the liquid swords before, because we were, we were setting this up with, with Mendez directly, um, I had mentioned the mythology of like, well, yeah, you touch an angel feather, it connects you to the universe and it gives you this seer's eye, which gives you these abilities. And Mendez was like, huh, you know, I understand this is a fantasy universe and like there is uh, a truth behind like certain things that happen. Like, you know, in our universe, we have so much wonderful uh, uh, cultural beliefs and whatnot, partially because there's unknowable ambiguity behind what's happening behind our universe and in fiction like because we can control everything we can know certain things uh which means things have definitive explanations which doesn't leave a lot of room for cultural ambiguity and for multiple cultures to have valid perspectives um and I was like, well, you know, we've kind of written ourselves into a corner with this. I, I don't see a way that we could navigate away from the fact that, like, yes, angels are beings. Yes, the sovereign was a being. And, you know, seers are created by touching angel feathers. Um, you know, different uh, groups can have, like, different perspectives on that. But, like, there is a thing that we know because we are knee-deep kind of in that, like, origin lore for the world. And Lex had this idea that immediately challenged that, that like, well, angel feathers aren't the only way that this happens. You do get like a symbol and a marker uh, that uh, of being connected to the universe. And it is an eye. And, you know, there is like kind of, if you think through it, a metaphysical mechanical system behind why it's an eye and why angels have eyes and whatnot, like that's that's pretty transparent and easy to see but but you don't need it to be physically the the leftovers of an angel that gave you this eye there are other things that you can do that connect you to the universe in that way um and so like when lex like threw that out there uh, as a pretty wild thought i was kind of game to like yeah, let's change things. Let's make huge changes to things. Let's put different perspectives in here because that's kind of what Skyjacks is all about. Um, so yeah, although I couldn't find uh, the solution to the problem that Mendez uh, uh, pointed out to me, Lex managed to provide that solution uh, really eloquently and also gave me a tremendous uh, challenge for how we would address that uh, on air and in the narrative, uh, which which I will get to. But like, yeah, Lex had all of these really cool ideas um, and we kind of, the, the, the way I gave Lex this mission, I was like, look, 
we've got this character who is trending towards, you know, having to learn some lessons of some form at the Liquid Swords. One of the things that Mendez wanted to emphasize is that the Liquid Swords are specifically wary of cultural appropriation, of people coming in, learning the lessons, taking the the treasures, the cultural treasures that the Liquid Swords Monastery has developed, and just fucking off or maybe even using those treasures against the swords themselves. Um, you know, it, it was pretty straightforward. And Mendez was like, I kind of want, you know, the culture around the liquid swords to anticipate those problems. And also Mendez had emphasized that like, that doesn't mean it is a pure thing. Like there would be red feather spies and whatnot amongst the liquid swords, but there is some kind of cultural defense against that kind of appropriation against ransacking and then stealing the knowledge of this cool culture um so for this arc i was like look you're gonna play this character this character's role is to be a gatekeeper here and what we're gonna do we are going to have go on like vi do visions because like that is kind of how seers eyes work and whatnot and hey this is james in the future doing final checks before the show goes out obviously still here with project falcon and i just remembered actually i hadn't decided on visions that was lex's decision um i was kind of open to a bunch of different approaches to this some of them being like just a special adventure and Lex made the request that we do it in the pocket space through visions. Uh, so that was their brilliant idea again. Yeah. Just wanted to make sure credit went where credit was due. Please enjoy. We want Jonnet to be able to relate to teacher way as like a mentor um, uh, through something familiar. So we're going to do these visions. You're going to have like carte blanche of like how you evaluate this character, but I want you to, from your character's perspective, decide on important things, important ways that you would evaluate Jonnet and whether or not you think Jonnet would be a good fit for the swords. And kind of at the end of the arc, no matter what, you're going to be able to render a judgment. And I will not have control over that judgment. And Tyler will not really have control over that judgment. Um, you know, I did kind of envision like, hey, one of uh, I do want us to be thinking about and preparing a song that is like, hey, you did it. You you figured it out um, because, you know, I know Jonnet is a character. Um, I, I think Jonnet is someone who can fundamentally be trusted with uh, the power that he has. So I I thought that, yeah, there, there's a really good chance that he is walking away from this with like the, the path to the liquid swords. But I was open to someone coming in and, you know, authentically behaving to their Liquid Swords character and saying no, or saying that, like, at least not through me. Like, if, if you're going to find the Liquid Swords, if you're going to go to the temple for training, like, it's got to be with someone else because I don't think you're ready. Um, so... Uh, one thing, one note that I did see from, from some people, uh, they were upset at the huge and noticeable lack of rolling this arc. We did not do much rolling and like, there was no rolling for Jonnet and Jonnet's destiny in this whole vision quest thing. And a big part of that, honestly, is because rolling wasn't the mechanic, the mechanic was inviting a stranger to join us on the podcast and render a judgment about one of our characters with 
only the information that we gave them through this arc. Um, and so, yeah, like John, it didn't roll, but that's because like Lex was kind of evaluating who John, it was and uh, John, like character journey and whether or not that journey should involve the liquid swords temple and Lex had their own criteria for that too. Um, Lex had developed a uh, teacher way as a character who kind of had a bad experience with the temple had like found a home at the temple had found um, like acceptance and like an our artistically minded culture that was really important to them at the temple. But also um, because there was a red feather spy involved, like was kind of exiled or under a self excommunication from the temple because like all of that good stuff was mixed in with fucking politics. Um, and Jonnet, you know, being a powerful seer, like the real threat is Jonnet going to the temple, um, not knowing what he wants to do with the power and having people who are there shape him because like it's they're not just training like like even when you go to school you're not just learning things you are absorbing messages from people you are finding mentors people are leading you different ways and you know it's not all good stuff uh some of it is in fact quite bad stuff uh it, it, so like john at going in at 15 like has the danger of like well you know, both I could be sending someone to the temple to take our secrets, use them to become incredibly powerful and also incredibly dangerous. Or I can take someone who is well-meaning and maybe can be trusted with that power, but doesn't have strength of conviction enough to protect themselves from the influences of people who will be teaching them. And the results of either of those situations are dangerous for the temple and dangerous for the world of sphere. Think about Jonathan. Think about his powers. Think about the fact that he is 15 and like he is tangled with a mariner already. Um, and what a person could do with that power. Think about the fact that like there's already kind of a cult that like is is kind of formed around belief in Jonathan just based on his deeds. And what an unscrupulous person or somebody who has been taught bad lessons could do with that kind of influence. Um, it's a big deal. Uh, so like, yeah, part of it was like Lex wanted to make sure that Jonnet was in it enough for himself that he would be able to protect his core, um, but also altruistic enough and, and good enough that like he wasn't just going to use this all for like personal gain, um, as, as way put it was selfish, but also selfless. Um, those, which I thought was really, really cool. Um, and you know, they were, uh, tests that I felt, so oh, Johnny can probably pass these tests, but like, it was also a thing that I was resolved to leave out of my control for the most part. Um, so yeah, we did that and we did these uh, luminary draws for um, visions. Um, I did want to make sure, like the last luminary draw for Jonathan, I think I had decided ahead of hand, like I wanted to be the star watcher. Um, I see that 
for the most part, being Jonnet's luminary. That is the luminary that I think is is most connected to Jonnet. Um, so I wanted that to be part of the mix, but the rest of them, we just kind of like pulled luminaries and I think it all turned out really well. Um, I do want to, you know, at this point, like mention uh, kind of the challenge that we had in showing off ways past. Like we wanted to show, especially because we had this new, cool, valuable thing that challenged the established mythology of the Skyjacks universe that like you can get an angel feather from things other than or you can get a seer's eye from things other than touching angel feathers. Like we had to show that off. And the thing that we had to show off was a transformative sexual experience, um, which, you know, our podcast does not shy away from sex. Like uh, we, you know, I, I wanted to incorporate sex and sex workers as like an integral part of our world. And I, I think that turned out really well. Um, I also think like there have been a lot of transformative uh, sexual and romantic experiences that have happened, you know, more or less on camera for the world of Skyjacks. Um, and I think each one of those is essential. I think all of uh, Gable's uh, like courtship with Hildred is so important. I, I think uh, the fact that like Gable sort of reconnected to humanity through this intensely vulnerable moment that was also like hooking up in a locker room was important. I think uh, Gable and Travis resolving some of their feelings through a romantic gesture is, is kind of important. Um, and, you know, I'll talk about it more like Gable's past with the morning star, like incredibly important. Um, I think there's going to be more stuff that like looks at sex as a emotionally transformative thing. And I realize like that that is not an experience for everybody in our audience. Like we have plenty of folks who are asexual or aromantic as, as listeners. Um, but I, I don't, a lot of actual play podcasts, I think don't really want to look at sex at all. Um, and I, I, I think even a lot of media doesn't want to to talk about the totality of what sex is. Um, so I, I want, you know, in a show where I have control over it, um, I want the portrayal of it to be different and, you know, look at it from a lot of different angles. Um, and Waze was a really interesting one. And it was a story that I'm like, okay, this, if, if we're going to do this, it, I want it to be pretty explicitly queer and how it evolves. So Way, you know, comes from a repressive background, finds like an artistic enclave where they really find their voice. And they have this transformative moment where they introduce themselves to a community, you know. Way gets up on stage and shows, well, there's still a lot of refining they have to do. They have the chops to do the thing that they want to do. Um, and in that moment, like that, in that introduction to the community, I wanted uh, there to be like a connect, like since we were going to do this uh, sexual experience, opening someone up to the universe, I was like, okay, well, then they need to meet somebody there who like welcomes them to a community in a different way. 
Um, and Lex had also emphasized that like part of Wei's experience was at, at the Liquid Swords Temple was hedonistic, was like kind of the opposite of repression was like, yeah, we're going to do drugs. We're going to have sex. We're, we're going to make incredible art. And that is kind of like the idealistic movement that we are a part of. Um, so accepting all of that, I was like, okay, this feels like another great moment to investigate the Black Lilies and kind of how they work. Um, you know, we, we have seen Margaret and Margaret like take on cases. We've seen Sweet a little bit. Like we've seen like these really big things happen that are dealing essentially with problems. Uh, you know, Travis, uh, because Travis suffered like unbelievable trauma um uh in in multiple ways like direct abuse and you know just tr horrible tragic loss and having to deal with like a life that no other people have to deal with and also kind of weirdly having chronic pain at the same time like Travis is dealing with a lot and that that is a lot to untangle and like I wanted to show off that a lily has the capability of guiding someone through that experience in a way that looks very different from therapy and very different from like a, a lot of ways that that we would think of it because you know Travis's problems are not at all like any problems that any person has to deal with um with with sweet and sweet lily braves the river um we had like this kind of cosmic in my opinion wrong that was dealt uh these two people who who were in love and it was cut tragically short and you know it is a fix it fic i'm not going to i'm not going to pull any punches there but that was sort of my explicit mission also at the same time with it um but you know we we had like two souls who were bound through the union one being lost in the river and kind of the problem of holding on to grief and how it can degrade you and in certain ways degrade the memory of a person and how connection can help someone through that. So like that is also the place of a lily. Um, here is someone who is like just like finding themselves, finally reached a point where, where, where they think they know who they are and this lily is here in this instance to kind of help them affirm that knowledge. Um, and I don't know if if the lily uh, in ways past uh, was working or not. Like there, there are a bunch of things that, that I am not clear on there. And like, I, I don't think need to be investigated as much. But like this lily sang and it meant something to teach her way. And then Wei performed, and it meant something to this Lily. The two connected, and like Wei kind of got like nurtured into the world that they wanted to be a part of. And like importantly, this is separate from the Liquid Swords. This is not just somebody who is part of the collective that that Wei was a part of. Uh, this is just another person who, like Wei, loved art and was there to enjoy and experience art and, you know, saw in Wei, like, it's hard to say, like, I don't want to place too much on, on this Lily, you know, 
knowing and seeing too much more like there's there's a little bit of power imbalance there that like i haven't quite reconciled like lilies can know things about you that you don't immediately see for yourself and they can help you understand those things uh quite quickly and, and clearly um but like yeah essentially this lily created the conditions where uh where Wei was able to find their place in the universe. And through part of that process, um, like Wei connected to the universe in a way that was so much more profound uh, than even just finding a community could be. And, you know, in my opinion, that is kind of what queer sex is like and, and connections between queer people can be like you are brought up in kind of a world that makes you feel bad about who you are and then finding a connection and and realizing that oh no this thing that i've been afraid of or ju self-judgmental over or that people hate me for is actually extraordinarily beautiful um and is a part of myself that I wouldn't want to excise if I could. And like the the fact that that is sort of like all culminated in a sexual act, like actually feels tremendously appropriate and important to be part of our narrative. So we had to figure out a way to show it on screen and we had to figure it a way <laughs> to talk about it in front of a 15 year old character. Um, uh, so, like, thankfully, a lot of that got addressed by um, the fact that we were in Way's pocket space. We were in the parts of reality. So, like, the way Way's eye works, I don't know if it was explicitly mentioned. Because it can't see, it doesn't take in new information. However, having a seer's eye, even if it is blind, means any information that Way takes in through their senses can be reinterpreted through the eye in dreams. So finding truths that feel like very present. Um, and so like these visions and whatnot are really just like the eye sorting through the data that it has available and like being able to explore that there in abstract forms. So that's why like a lot of things in the vision are incomplete. You know, they have the indistinct and ethereal quality of dreams. Like we're seeing forms moving. So, you know, Wei goes into the sex club with this Lily and they have sex and it like starts out like we're establishing like, yes, I want this to be a sex club and specifically a bathhouse um, because that is an important part of queer history that, again, I don't want to shy away from and I want to make center and part of this universe. Then we take things abstract. When those characters start connecting, like we don't want a 15-year-old watching sex. What we do want is a 15-year-old maybe understanding what connection can mean, even if it is intimate, romantic, and sexual connection. So we start looking at these two people in the forms of their souls, how those souls connect and how the connection of those souls like bridges a gap to everything the the universe at large and becomes this profound transformative experience welcome to character creation cast a show where we create and discuss characters the best part of role-playing games with guests using their favorite systems i'm one of your hosts ryan bolter 
And I'm your other host, Amelia Antrim. Join us as we sit down with game designers, podcasters, and fans of games as we dive into learning about different RPGs through the lens of character creation. It's a combination of character building, player advice, game design insights, and even a little bit of fan fiction for a different game every month. We tackle a variety of new and old games, both well-known and indie-produced titles. We learn how creating characters can tell us a lot about the games themselves. Check us out today anywhere you can get podcasts or on the OneShot Podcast Network at OneShotPodcast.com. <laughs>